Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Got your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll eventually get there. I kind of um, wanted to tag on to last week's message, and uh, I kind of titled it last week, God, I've got a question. What must I do to please you? And so this week I added to that title, part two. Well, we decided last week, if you want to please the Lord, you need to believe Him, and and you need to worship Him. He wants you to believe Him, and He wants you to worship Him. And um, as I did that, we we focused on those two things, but what I really wanted to delve into this week is what worship is to God, and uh, how God puts an emphasis on worship, and what? He puts an emphasis on worship. How, you know, what, what about worship does he put an emphasis on? And if you'll look at Scripture in Deuteronomy and, you know, really all throughout, but Deuteronomy is like the Acts of the Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's an incredible book that has so much information in it. But what God does is he puts an emphasis on knowing his word, knowing his way, and uh, he says about that, that, you know, this is who I am. This is, this is how I do it. This is what I do. And, uh, and he puts an emphasis on that. Now, the reason I wanted to just focus on this today, because I think in our culture, in our generation, you know, we have this perception, this, this way of thinking about God's Word that I think needs some adjustment. Because we look at it as the law, we look at it as, you know, it says about itself that it's statutes or regulations, and all those things are true. They're true, but, but we have this legal sense because we have a judicial system and we understand what law is and all those kind of things. But God's presentation of that isn't that legalistic judging thing. It, it doesn't have that on it. It has the heart of a father on it. In other words, uh, let me get let me get a story. I'm gonna start with the story uh, of Stephen and his and his boy Philip. This weekend they were over at the house over the fourth, and we were you know just having fun and and uh, had a bunch of the young kids over there. And uh, little Philip decides he wants to go swimming without his little floaties, and so he jumps in the pool and nobody saw it, and he doesn't have floaties on. And all of a sudden Stephen looks around and says. Where's Philip? And he looks down, and Philip's there's Philip, and he's trying to hit the bottom of the pool and get up to get some air, and he quite, can't quite make it to the top. And he goes back down and kicks back up and goes back. Now I want to tell you something. When when Stephen got Philip out, Philip was scared. He was scared. You can see all over his face, not only the the fear of what might happen to his kid. But, you know, just all kinds of thoughts. Where was I? What was I? You know, where, the, whole, the whole gamut of what you'd go through as a father was going through Stephen's face. He was 15 times scarier than Philip. Philip was scared and crying. Stephen was a mess. 
That's what the Word of God is. Jesus says, the Father says through Jesus, because Jesus is the Word. He says about His Word, this is my decree, this, this is my way, this is the nature of who I am. You see, what we try to do is we try to make it this law as if they're regulations, and actually what it is, it is the name of God. The Word of God is declaring the nature of God, the character of God, everything about who God is instead of just rules and regulations. In other words, God's not separated us from His Word. It's not like He requires us to act a certain way that He doesn't have to act. All He is doing is communicating to you and me who He is. This is my way. This is what I do. And He says about worship is that those who worship me worship me in spirit and in truth. In other words, those who worship me want to intimately get to know me and then they want to do what I say. They want to become like me. There is this love for me and, and this desire for me and, and, when, and when they see who I am, they want to be like me too. And he calls that worship. And so he puts this great emphasis on his word, not as a legal rules and regulations, but as a, 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 a kind of like an owner's manual of his nature and character. He says about himself, I created heaven and earth and everything in it. I understand how it operates. So if you'll do it this way, you're going to be blessed. If you don't do it this way, you're going to have to suffer the consequences. Let me put it to you in the terms of the July 4th party. Little Philip, don't jump in the pool without your floaties on. Because if you jump in the pool without your floaties on, what's going to happen is you're going to sink. You're going to fill yourself with uh, water. You're going to have to cough up and throw up. It's really not going to be pretty, and it might cost you your life. So don't do that. Do it like this. Before you go in, come to me. Let me put your floaties on. Let me get you in the pool. And let me be with you while you swim. Right? That's the word of God. It's not legalistic. It is the nature and the character of the Father. It's a good God trying to tell you how he designed things in his way. And he says about us that we have a heart for him, that we are worshipers of him when we worship him with a heart that wants to do things his way. So let's look at how that plays out. That worship is really doing the word. It's not music. You see, music proclaims the nature and the character of God, right? It reminds us who He is. This is what it's supposed to be. It's praise. It, 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 is, it is this act of it proclaiming with our mouth, here is the nature and the character of my God. I'm reminded of that, and I sing that back to you, Lord, so that my singing will transform who I am and make me more like that. That's what worship is. It's singing the truth of the Word of God so that we can become more like that 
It is the Word of God. It is worship. The Word is God. It's not separated from Him. It is Him. Jesus is the Word. Jesus says, I am the Word. In John, John proclaims that about Jesus. It's he, he is the Word. He is the way. He says about Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am life. In other words, I'm not death. My way is life. Other philosophies, other ways of thinking other than my way of thinking can cause you harm. It can fill your lungs up with crap. <laughs> can you say that? Probably shouldn't. But, and then you're going to throw up. And you're going to throw up on everybody all around you, and it might even bring you death. He wants us to desire him first in his way. You know, when you, have a, when, you, when you begin to think about what God's expectation of us when it comes to the word of God, he expects us to reflect the word of God in everything that we do. In other words, if you're a person that's a goal setter, if you set a lot of goals, how many in here are goal setters? You like setting goals. You, you know, you've got, how many of you have no vision whatsoever? How many, <laughs> would you, okay, okay, so we're going to assume that you have vision. Okay, and so you, you, hopefully you've got some semblance of a mission statement. If you don't have a mission statement in life, let me encourage you, get you one. If you don't have a mission statement for your job, let me encourage you, get you one. Your boss will appreciate it. But our mission statements, no matter what they might be, maybe you have or should have a mission statement of what a good husband looks like. And here's my mission statement as a good husband. Or here's my mission statement as a good wife. Or here's my mission statement as a good mother or father, parent, grandparent. Whatever it might be, hopefully your mission statement will be covered by your life mission statement. And my life mission statement and the mission statement that I believe God tells us to have as believers might look something like this. Lord... I want to know you as my God. I want to know you. My mission is to know you intimately. I want to know who you are. I want to know how you think. I want to know how you respond to certain things. I want to know everything about you, every little detail. I want to know your nature. I want to know your ways. And then I want to agree with you, God. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to come up with my own solutions or my own ways. I want to agree with you. And then I want to accomplish your way on earth like it's accomplished in heaven. Amen. And in that, I want to do that as a husband. I want to do that as a wife. I want to do that as a parent, as a grandparent, as an employee, as an employer. I want to do all those things. I want to know your way, God. That's my mission. And God says about you, that's worship. That's worship. And then, there's this, and then there's this thing that really gets, displeases God. You want to know what pleases God? That's what it. You know what displeases the Lord? What displeases God is a person who brings the outward aspect of those things but doesn't want have a heart to do things his way. In other words, we gather in a church like this, we raise hands, we sing songs to God, we do all those things, but there's nothing in our heart that says, God, I want to know your way and I want to do your way. 
He calls those things an abomination to him. You gotta, you're, you're, you're cleaned up on the outside, but on the inside, you really don't have a heart to do things my way. You really don't have a heart to know me. You're still stuck on doing things the way you want to do them. And that doesn't please me. Matter of fact, it's not worship. Not the way that I desire worship. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 28 and 35. I'm going to read a few chapters in Deuteronomy, and I'm really going to try to get to the whole message this time. I still have 35 minutes. The clock hadn't started yet. <laughs> he just started the clock. Praise God. You guys are in trouble. Now, Jesus is already through the Word. Jesus, do you, how many of you know that Jesus is the Word? Do I, I keep, I keep, you know, he is the Word. And so when I say that about Old Testament, it doesn't mess you up, does it? You think Jesus was there in the Old Testament? He is the Word. And so he, he, he knows, and it's written in Deuteronomy chapter 428, that Israel, the church, is going to begin to walk away from God and do things man's way. And he says this, and there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, as you stray. The work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek, from that place, you will begin to seek the Lord your God. And you'll find him if you seek him, if. Everything in me circles if. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all the things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is the merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. For ask now concerning the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created men on the earth, the ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened? Ask this question. Has any great thing like what you've been witnessing, has it ever happened before? Ask all of heaven if anything like this has ever happened. Or nothing like this has ever been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you've heard it and live? Has that ever happened before? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God and there is no God beside him. You see, there's a testimony. What God does is he says this, and I want you to get your arms around. This is so important, especially about your testimony, and I'm bored that your testimony might be with the Lord. But he says this, my ways are right. They are better. My ways are better. You need to get to know my ways. You, you remember all that stuff I did? Well, that's my ways. That, that's who I am. You see, you don't separate the word from the ways of God. He is that way. In other words, you don't just get the miraculous. You only get the miraculous when God shows up. 
You know, when, when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, maybe somebody lays hands on somebody and they're here, uh, healed of cancer or, or maybe, you know, they had a knee issue. Now they don't have a knee issue anymore, an elbow issue. They don't have an elbow issue anymore. You know, whatever it might be. You know, we, did, did the person laying hands on do it or did God did it? God did it. We don't do anything. It's the Word of God that does everything. And so, and so what God is saying is, when you do things my way, when you understand that that's my personhood, you don't have to separate all this stuff from. In other words, when I show up on the scene, that's what I do. That's who I am. I'm a miracle God. When you think about doing my way, know that when my way shows up, I show up. And when I show up, that's what happens. We were at, Michael and I were at Bethel a couple weeks ago going to a leadership conference, and they were doing their leadership conference. It was fantastic. The guy that was in charge of the healing ministry there, he was the pastor. His whole job was healing ministry, and they hired him to do the healing ministry. And he gave a testimony. He said this. He said, you know, when we started doing this healing ministry, we were six months in and nobody was healed. Not a soul. And, man, it got to the point where we would gather together and we'd have a healing service and there would be a line forming outside and we'd be on the ground and we'd be praying. We'd be asking the Lord to show up. And as we asked the Lord to show up, we'd look over our shoulder and see the line forming. Oh, God, if you don't show up. You see these people out here? And what he said was, he told this guy, and I can't remember his name. I'm sorry, guy, but I can't remember your name. But he said, when you start seeking me in my presence, in my presence alone, I'll start healing people. When you stop worrying about those things that are wrong and just start worrying about getting into my presence and worshiping me and giving your heart to me, then I'm going to show up. And he said they went on for weeks and weeks with that idea in their mind, and they began to pray and really pursue God. And as they pursued him one, one week, when it was time for their service, they were on the floor. He was praying. He was laid prostrate. He was praying, and he, he was uh, crying out to God. He was totally engrossed in the presence and, and focused on who God was and just, and just blessing and worshiping him with everything that was in him. And said somebody came up to him and kicked him on the floor and said, are we going to... Pray for these people. We're 30 minutes past time we're supposed to start. And he said that night, that night, he said there was a guy that they were all waiting. And I had a, you know, a, a barrier, and they were all waiting. And the, the first guy that was coming in for prayer was walking down the hall, was deaf. And as he walked toward the room, his ears popped open, and he could hear. Nobody prayed. Nobody laid on hands. Nobody did anything. They just pursued the presence of God. And with the presence of God came healing. God is looking for hearts that want him, that want 
to have intimacy with him. And when that happens, he's going to do the miraculous. He's going to do all kinds of things in our midst, in your midst, at home, at work, with your families. It is about your heart toward God in his presence. And whether you are wanting to know who he is with everything that's within you, and whether you want to be a good representative of who he is, whether you want to be like him. And when he sees that heart and he sees that in you, then he'll begin to use you in a powerful way. You'll begin to see things that you've never seen before in your life. Why? Because you're stronger now? Because your faith is so big? Absolutely not. Because God has found somebody that wants to do things his way. Amen. God wants us to want him. God wants us to see that his way is better. God wants us to see that other ways cause pain and failure. And he warns us about that. Jesus said, I am the word. John 5, 39 and 40 says this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. Jesus said this in John, he says, What's eternal life? He says that you know God and, and his son that he sent. That you know him. That you're intimate with him. You know who he is. Since you think that the scriptures are eternal life, and these are they which testified of me, but you're not willing to come to me and worship me. And God says, be careful how you're influenced. Be careful to be influenced in a positive way. In a positive way, what I mean by that is by the way of God. A negative way would be a way that is a, is a way of doing things that's contrary to what God says. Be careful who you listen to. Matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13, what God did to those in Israel, he said, listen, you know all that stuff I told you to do in Deuteronomy? Stop doing it. Don't even stop your church services. Don't even do it. You're going through the rituals. You're going through the, the everyday stuff that I've told you to do, but your heart is far from me. Stop what you're doing. It's an abomination to me because your heart isn't for me. He did that in the Old Testament, and you can see that as it happens also in the New Testament. Colossians says this, Colossians 2, 4 through 10. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Jesus, the word. As you therefore have received the word, the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. Walk in the Word, rooted and built up in the Word, and established in the faith of what the world, Word accomplishes. And you have been taught, abounding in, uh, in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the principles, basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. 
who is the head of all principality and power. Jeremiah says this, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert. That's, that's the person who chooses what I just described, persuasive words. You'll be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. You'll be, if you start choosing the ways of the world, you're going to be in a desert. You're going to be like a shrub in a desert. And even when God wants to bless you, even when God is calling upon your name, you're not going to be able to even see it. You won't even know when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. But blessed, say that with me, blessed, supremely blessed. Come on, do it. Yeah, I did it twice and I slurred. You do it twice and slurred. Supremely blessed. There we go. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of the drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit even when there seems to be a drought, because he is well rooted. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Lord answers the question. I know it. I, the Lord, I search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. You see, you do what's in your heart. And God knows what's in your heart. Now, this is not to make you dread or fear. This is to make you analyze your, what, what condition your heart is. Do you have a heart that really wants to know your God, to intimately know who he is? And then when you discover him, quit making excuses of your current condition and say, oh, my God, examine me. Search me, O Lord. Examine my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. If you discover it, Lord, I'll, I'll repent. I'll, I'll start doing things your way. Just show me your way, God. So it really goes back to the original commandment. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Oftentimes when we think about taking the Lord's name in vain, we're talking about cussing. Usually using GD, you hear people do that all the time. Or maybe using Jesus Christ when you stump your toe in the dark. Which is not good, by the way. And it is inclusive in probably taking the Lord's name in vain. But really what the Lord, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain means is to treat God with irreverence or superficiality or insincerity or phoniness or to bring to God empty worship, hypocritical worship that doesn't honor his way or his personhood. It's singing empty songs. Singing songs to God about who he is without expecting them to transform who you are. Or having a desire for it to transform you. Or hearing the word being preached or reading the word as you go through scripture and not having this great desire for it to actually change who you are. That's taking the Lord's name in vain because this is the name of the Lord. 
This is his nature. This is his character. This is his way. And he says to you and me, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets it except that they acknowledge me. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to get to it. I mean, Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to get to this. I'm going to read this real quick. And I really want to talk to you about it. So I'm just kind of skipping a little bit here. But I want to get to Matthew chapter 14, verse 34 and through 15, 20. When they had crossed over, they came to the land that was right around Galilee there, the Galilee Lake, Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent out into all the surrounding region, and they brought to him all that were sick. And they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And they, now, when, they, when you see this, you have, to see, you have to know that these men probably saw the woman with the issue of blood being healed. So, and she said in her mind, all i got to do is reach out and touch the man's garment. And, and she touched it, and 12 years of pursuit was healed immediately. And when they see that Jesus is in the region, they go find everybody that they know that's sick, and they say to them, all we got to do is touch his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. That's an amazing miracle. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, which means that they were sent by the higher-ups, came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered them and he said, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me, I, I'm going to give it to God. It's a gift to God. Then, then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus, with their, uh, thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when, you, when they heard you say this? But he answered them and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And then Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us, Jesus. Are you also still without understanding, he says? Do you not yet understand what, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornication, thieves, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, does not defile a man. Now, I just want to talk to you a minute in this age of communication why this parable is so important. Because this is a parallel to what Isaiah said to stop doing the services because you don't have a heart from me. 
Jesus is saying the same thing about the, the, the Pharisees that came to him, but you must understand the context of this particular parable. The reason that these guys came to Jesus and they asked him the question, first of all, before I get started in that, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. This is one Easter before the Easter Sunday morning that he dies. All right? You with me? This is a year before the crucifixion. And this is the height of Jesus' ministry. He is just feeding the 5,000 people. He just fed them. He is at the height of his ministry. And, and these people see Jesus, and they run, and they find everybody that's sick. Well, Jesus is about done with it because everybody wants to see a sign. Matter of fact, after the, five, or the feeding of the 4,000, the Pharisees come, and they ask him to see, see a sign. And he says, you're kidding me, right? I just fed 4,000 people. Well, they couldn't even see that. Does that sound like the plant in the wilderness when good comes, they can't even see it? The same thing is true for you and me. And Jesus is talking about this. And the reason he's talking about it is because they had been reading commentaries. Everybody know what a commentary is? A commentary is somebody's interpretation of what Scripture actually means. That's a commentary. And they have been reading three commentaries, and I want to get it right. It, uh, uh, it is the Mish, Mishnah. Is that right? Do y'all know? Is that right? The Talmud and the Midrash. Midrash. Three Jewish commentaries that explain the law and what God actually meant in the law and what they actually meant by washing of hands. It wasn't because they were worried about germs. It's because they were worried that those hands might have touched a Gentile. And if they had touched a Gentile, then they were corrupt. And they needed to be washed and purified like baptism. Or that a demon, and it had a specific demon from these teachings, could have somehow gotten on them. And if they ate with those demonic hands, then that demon would get in them and they would now be possessed. And so he asked the question, why aren't you listening to these commentaries about what God says about this particular teaching? Are you tracking with me? And Jesus doesn't even answer the question. He says, why aren't you honoring your mama and your father? Well, what was going on is, and I can't remember the word, but they had this, this word they could declare kind of like, What's that word that, that pirates use? Parlay. It's kind of like they could say parlay, but it was a different, it's a Hebrew word. And what it meant was, you know, I'm supposed to take care of you as my mom and daddy, but parlay, I'm gonna, that money's gone to God, so I don't have to do that. When they get old. And Jesus answered it and said, You've come up with your own interpretation. You've come up with your own philosophy, your own way that's contrary to what Scripture says, and you're doing that, and you're not obeying what I told you to do, and that is honor your father and mother. What does that mean? That means when they get old, take care of them, and don't blame it on God. And we've got so many people that are giving you information about Scripture that you better be awful careful like the Bereans 
did. They, they took what was said and they measured it to see if that's what God had said in the Word. Because you can be in a place where you start doing things by the traditions of men and actually don't carry them out the way God intended them to be carried out. And so we got to know the Word. And we got to do the Word of God. And we can't make excuses of why we don't know or why we're not doing. Because what Jesus says is how you respond to life is what's really in your heart. And are you responding to life my way? Well, how do you respond to life God's way? You can. God does. You just spend time with God and he goes with you. And he accomplishes his stuff because it's who he is. It's what his word says. It's what he does. Right? That's called grace. We live in the age of grace. So that the presence of God can accomplish the work through us and in us that only he can do. Because you can't do it in your own strength. But if you spend time with him, he'll change who you are and empower you and go with you. We sing that song by Rita. We sang it last week. And, and I love it. Listen, listen to the, the, the line. In the, it says, you bring the head of my enemy. You bring me the head of my enemy. Referring to David and Goliath. Your giant. The thing that is your nemesis. It says about God. This line does and what God says about himself and David. She says, you bring me the head of my enemy. And you call it my victory. Who slayed Goliath? God slayed Goliath. And gave David credit because the eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a heart that is solely devoted to him so that God, his namesake, who he is, can show himself strong through that man or that woman. Don't get caught up in the traditions of men. Don't listen to vain philosophies that are contrary to the Word of God. Don't not know the Word of God because God actually calls you coming in here worshiping Him without a heart to be transformed by His Word and His way as an abomination. Only come to Him with your hands lifted up, shouting His praise, shouting His nature, Shouting his character because it's coming from your heart because you know who your God is. And you, being his son or daughter, want to be, with everything within you, transformed by those words into that very likeness yourself. And then he says, I can't wait to bless you. I can't wait to bless you. I can't wait till you quit jumping in the pool without your floaties. 
because you just want to go swimming. Do it my way. My way. My way is better. It's better. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.